Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. Today we're going to have uh, something a little bit different, similar to um, episodes with JCH and myself by Don Van Dam. As the interviewer, we've got a WSBF original Sultan, also known as Shafi, in the house for a one-on-one history of Shafi's fandom in pro wrestling and we're very much looking forward to finding all about the sultan where that came from and many many more things to do with pro wrestling so without any further ado let's get straight into it hey chef how's it going yeah, pretty good, mate. Pretty good. It's good to see you as always. You're definitely looking forward to this chat. I think probably more so than, you know, other guys you've spoken to, like our fandom will be quite intertwined, you know, so a lot of parallels, I imagine. Yes. Um, but yeah, it'd be cool to uh, cool to talk about it. Cool. Well, obviously, we'll get into it a bit further on, into the timeline of Shafi's wrestling fandom. But I'm pretty sure that wrestling was the reason that we became friends. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. I mean, we went to the same secondary school. The only other thing I can think of that we, you know, sort of had in common at that time was we both played for the cricket team, uh, yeah. the school cricket team. But apart from that, yeah, I mean, wrestling, was, well, wrestling was huge at the time, wasn't it? We're talking 1998. Things were getting really hot. You know, we started secondary school, what, September 98. Things were getting really hot in the Attitude Era at that point. You know, arguably the Zenith, obviously, Stone Cold had won the belt, what, five, six months earlier everyone loved wrestling like wrestling like it wasn't you know the, I know when a lot of people talk about wrestling they're like oh I met the one other guy at school who liked wrestling it was different for us like at our age like everyone at school loved it yeah but you know there were the the poses and then there were the uh you know the <laughs> hardcore and we were you know arguably in the in the minority there I think <laughs> the nerds let's face it yeah. <laughs> not in terms of schoolwork, but in terms of wrestling pandemic. Yeah, definitely <laughs> So yeah, when do you first remember watching pro wrestling? So I think I imagine it would have been 1991. I think we got Sky probably early in 1991. My next door neighbour was into wrestling as well. He was a similar age, like literally about three or four months older than me. And we would rent uh, videos from, you know, the store and sort of take it in turns to go to each other's houses and watch. So, you know, I probably watched stuff like you know, old Survivor Series and like WrestleMania 5 is something I remember watching. But the first uh, sort of pay-per-view I watched as it was happening would have been uh, WrestleMania 7. So that's what, March, April, 91? Yeah. That was recorded for me on a VHS, uh, I think, by my parents. I imagine it was probably on too late or something. So, yeah, I watched that pay-per-view loads. The tape actually cut out before the main. So I've never seen Hogan versus Slaughter. I've seen that pay-per-view like hundreds of times. I've never seen Hogan versus Slaughter. Are you sure it wasn't um, coming out yet? 
So if you could not spoil that match for me, I'd appreciate it. But uh, <laughs> yes, I've never seen that. That was a great pay-per-view. I mean, like even now, I think probably Savage and uh, Warriors and the, the moment at the end of the reunion with Liz is probably like my mania moment. Never, that's my childhood. So 1991, you're, what, five years old? Is that right? Uh, four. So I turned five in the November. Right, sorry, yeah, okay. You're four years old. You're already into the WWF that time uh, because I'm, I'm assuming that's what you get on Sky Movies, what, back when it was then. Yeah. What was it that drew you into the world of wrestling? Was it um, passed down to you? Was it just kind of like you stumbled upon it? In truth... Like, I genuinely don't know. Like, I don't remember my dad ever really being into it. Like, he thought The Undertaker was cool. But, I mean, I don't know. I know my uncle watched it. He bought me my first ever Coliseum video, Hulk Hogan's Greatest Matches. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it may have been him. I'm not sure, but I don't think he even had Sky. So, I don't know if that was like a hangover from the world of sport, maybe. But it was just sort of presented to me. Um, you know, here's wrestling, like, watch it. And exactly. I did, and I obviously loved it, you know, because it became quite big here, didn't it? Around about sort of 91, I think, with, you know, satellite TV and it coming to Sky and things like that. I mean, I imagine you probably started watching around about the same time, Absolutely, um, yeah. more or less. Simon Cowell then got his hands on it. Top 10 record. Is it Slam Jam? Well, yeah. I can't say I have any recollection of that, which is probably for the best. <laughs> I definitely got all those records. Simon yeah. Cowell saw me coming. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, my parents recorded it for me from off of Sky Movies, or, but I don't really know why. But it was um, all WWF at that time, yeah, for you? Yeah. I think I caught, like, the last two minutes of a WCW show, probably 92, 93. I think they were on ITV for a little bit. Yeah. And that was it. Like, I, I had no sort of awareness of it at all. So the next paper you I watched was SummerSlam 91. It's summertime, and the living is anything but easy, because it's time for SummerSlam. Again, another Sky Movies classic, and like in that they're referencing the real world champion, uh, Ric Flair, and I, I didn't understand what that was about at all, really. Yeah. So, yeah, I had no, no concept of wrestling outside of, of WWF as a four-year-old. And did you get to see the main event of SummerSlam 91? I did. This actually cut off the uh, the opening match. Well, <laughs> well, cut off half of the opening match. So my parents weren't great with, you know, <laughs> with VCRs. They were obviously complicated things. So, yeah, it sort of cut in towards the end of the Brett Perfect match. But, like, those were the two tapes, along with the, you know, the aforementioned Hogan one that I just watched so many times as a kid. So, you know, that pay-per-view, for me, starts, you know, with... Brett getting beaten down and then reversing uh, a leg drop into a sharpshooter. And, like, that was me sold on Brett. Because even as, like, a four-year-old, I was like, that's so clever. You know, look what he did. <laughs> he was getting beaten up and he turned it around. So, at that point, like you say, wrestling's having its boom. SummerSlam 92 is right around the corner. The UK invasion. And, unfortunately, for wrestling fans, that boom bursts pretty quickly. 
due to all manner of things, including the steroid trial and, and whatnot, and other misdemeanors from the likes of the Ultimate Warrior um, having to leave the company. Did you stick with it around 93 or did you um, leave the world of wrestling for a bit? So, as I said, we probably started watching around about the same time. And a lot of the things in terms of wrestling we'll have light in common. But I think the thing that was quite different for me compared to you, like in some ways, um, if it's bold enough to say that, is that like I had quite a chaotic childhood, you know, and I would sort of look at you as someone who, from my perspective, certainly growing up, had like an ideal childhood or a very stable childhood. So like you had access to a lot of, you know, wrestling consistently. And I didn't really have that. So like 91 is one of my favorite years because I saw WrestleMania. I saw, you know, SummerSlam. Uh, but then I didn't really have access to wrestling again until like in 92. I don't think I saw anything. Okay. In 93, I don't think I saw anything. Uh, I may have caught a little bit of WrestleMania 9 maybe. SummerSlam 93, I got on a Coliseum video, but I didn't have ready access to it. And then 94, like, is probably my favorite year ever because that's when I got access to wrestling again. Yeah. Uh, and I, it was the first time I watched all the pay-per-views. So I watched, between, you know. So between SummerSlam 91 and SummerSlam 93, where you've got, like, a two-year gap of, like, access, did you still manage to keep up to date with what was going on with magazines and stuff? Or were you completely blind and then shocked when, you know, Savage was not in the title picture anymore. <laughs> well, Savage was like, I mean, after I think some Sun 91, I saw actually Tuesday in Texas as well, which I think was like six days later. Yeah, it was. Um, so I saw that, but that was it. So, I mean, to me, Savage was retired. Savage wasn't in the title picture. <laughs> you know, like WrestleMania 8, like it's not on my radar at all. So, yeah, I mean, I just basically kept watching those same three tapes. I just kept watching WrestleMania 7, Sometime 91, and Hulk Hogan's Greatest Matches. We obviously grew up in a a small town, like a small seaside town. There wasn't really that much access to, you know, even though there was this boom, there wasn't really that much access to wrestling. You know, there wasn't a shop that sold Hasbro figures. You know, I got them for, like, Christmas. But, you, you know, like, even Woolworths wasn't open at that time. You know, so I didn't really see magazines or... Yeah, so it was difficult to keep up with anything. Occasionally, I might catch a magazine, but not not that often. So, I mean, for a lot of British wrestling fans, Sometime 92 is like the zenith. But I didn't see it. Like, I didn't really have much awareness that was going on. Even now, I probably haven't sat down and watched the whole pay-per-view all the way through. Yeah. Which, like, for pe- for wrestling fans of our age is you know probably sacrilegious but it's just the way that things things happened so yeah i mean i'd catch the odd magazine but that was probably it you know and it wouldn't it wouldn't have been frequently okay so when you watch SummerSlam 93 are you able to kind of like analyze it in any kind of way where like okay so this is different to what i was watching in 91 or were you just excited to watch SummerSlam 93 i think i was just happy to have the access you know like i just I'm not sure that I really looked at it in any sort of deep analytical way of where... So actually, I may have seen... Actually, I think I saw King of the Ring 93. So is that where uh, your fandom really came from? 
Uh, yeah, but also it gave closure on the Hogan story. Yeah. You know, because he obviously loses the title and everything else. So I, I wasn't watching some Slam 93 thinking, where's Hogan? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Like I say, I was, I was still a massive fan. I just, I just didn't have the access. And I think probably, you know, apart from having quite an unstable uh, sort of home situation, I think because like my parents weren't really into it or, yeah, you know, there wasn't really that impetus. It wasn't really a priority for us to Did have you access have to wrestling. Did you your uncle, the fan of wrestling? So actually at that time, I would say probably, I, I don't remember exactly when, but I think it was 92. I want to say, summer of 92, he had a really bad motorcycle accident. Okay. So, like, we were literally, he was going on holiday. Like, he didn't drive, he didn't, like, have a car or anything. So, we were going to his house, and my dad was going to drive him and his family to this holiday park. But, uh, like, on the way there, well, I guess probably not on the way there, because there were no mobiles at the time. But when we got there, we found out that he'd been in a motorcycle accident, and he was in... Uh, the hospital for the best part of a year like he suffered like partial paralysis brain damage like it it was bad really bad um so I mean that probably didn't you know help to the stability of of life at that time because we spent a lot of time at the hospital but when he recovered or recovered as much as he was going to then yeah he was certainly an impetus or an influence into wrestling like for me probably you know from say 94 onwards yeah um and that is probably why, like, I've got. That's probably why some Slam Night Two wasn't on my radar because I was probably sat in a hospital, yeah. um, like with my with my family. So, yeah. So, we get to then like ninety three. Let's let's then jump ahead. So, ninety three to through to kind of that ninety eight boom. So, so like ninety three to like ninety seven, you're entering kind of almost teenagedom with like your primary school days leading up to secondary school is that something where you are still a wrestling fan or did you fade away from wrestling and concentrate on something else like i still loved wrestling but like i say 93 94 is my favorite year ever what is it about Sorry? 94 other than I just think it's, i think that you know the access is a massive thing but the brett and owen story like is something that like i still love you know from Survivor Series 93 all the way to Brett losing the title to uh, Backland at Survivor Series 94. It's a great story. And I just think that even though I really liked Hogan, I just kind of felt that Brett was a bit more relatable, which sounds odd because, you know, he wasn't small by any means, but he could tell us he was smart. Like, he wasn't necessarily the biggest, but he was, like, very clever in the way that he would win. Yeah. And also, like, we talk about access. You know, Brett would be having matches on TV all the time, whereas you never really saw Hogan. So, yeah, he was a special attraction kind of guy, wasn't he? A Saturday night, a main event or a pay per view, really? Exactly. Whereas, you know, Brett would defend the belt against Virgil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, literally. And go 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> love him. So, so yeah, like, I, I still loved wrestling. I mean, I remember like vividly still being in year three. So, being what, like eight years old, maybe? And writing a story about Bret Hart being my dad and, um, <laughs> you know, like beating up Jerry Lawler. It was basically a rehash of SummerSlam 93. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I mean, like on the in the background of that, like my parents were going through a divorce at the time. And I think that wrestling 
has always like for me it has been a bit of a support mechanism you know like when things haven't necessarily been easy or smooth like wrestling's always been there you know it's always something that I could put on and you know it'd be a distraction um and I could watch and yeah I mean then I probably watched it so at this point um you were just saying there about how it's a, a support mechanism did you have wrestling just as as like an internal thing or or was it a shared thing with friends and people at that point? Like, did you have friends who you watched the wrestling with or was it something that was quite insular for you? No, I think I would pretty much always watch it alone. Okay. Um, you know, like, like I said, my, uh, my neighbor was into wrestling, but he moved probably when I was about six or something. So yeah, wrestling was pretty much always a, a solo sport, shall yeah. we say. Um, so yeah, watched all of 94, 95, I watched the Rumble, and then I completely lost access again. Okay. So didn't really watch anything, well, I was lucky to miss 95, I guess, probably <laughs> not one of the greatest years in uh, wrestling history, but yeah, completely lost access. I saw uh, Mania 12, so 96, I saw that on a, a VHS, and then I pretty much, like, so at that time, like my granddad would take me to a different town during school holidays. We would always go to Western, you know, so we would go to this, this bigger town every week and they sold wrestling magazines. Okay. So like sort of every school holiday, so every six to eight weeks, I would maybe get a new wrestling magazine. And that was the thing that was just keeping me, you know, in touch. Like I would read like many 11 results or so that would keep me going um, until probably 96. And then I feel like, kind of died out so 96 when you start to read magazines and things is that when you start to grasp how wwe isn't the only thing in wrestling so 96 is probably when i stopped reading magazines it's probably when i stopped having any access to wrestling at all to be honest okay like before that i typically just read the the wwf magazine Uh, i maybe picked up a pwi a couple of times but i didn't really understand like i saw people but i didn't know who they were you know or I would see, you know, it might have been like a Memphis match or something and everyone's bleeding and I'd just be like, I don't know what this is. Whereas the the WF magazine was like kayfabe, right? So like someone... Well, well, I think PWI was obviously kayfabe as well. But like in terms of how you were saying that like you were quite an insular watcher of wrestling and it was kind of a, a solace for you, having those magazines must have been another way to have that kind of take away from the stuff that was going on at home, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, because I ended up with quite a lot of them. You know, I would just read through old pay-per-views or, you know, they would have like an Ask Brett section. Yeah. So I'd be getting, you know, advice from my role model on whether I should be wearing boxer shorts or briefs, <laughs> you know. Um, I still made the wrong decision for probably about 10 years, but, you know, what can you do? He said he liked Pearl Jam, so later in my life I'd try that out. It was all right, but... Not as special as I made out. uh, I remember um, reading one and realising that he really likes ice hockey and I thought that I'd be really cool and like ice hockey and then I watched one game and was like, that's not really really my bag. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they they were a form of escape. I think when, um, probably tied to the fact that I didn't have the access, when I would read the magazines and like I really wished I lived in America. I mean, that's probably a product of a lot of kids' movies as well, whereas like this idyllic place. But yeah, I was like, yeah, if I live in America, then like I can watch USA Network and I can watch this show and I, you know, I can just watch wrestling all the time. Yeah. 
<laughs> so then we get to kind of like 97, 98, the kind of boom of the Attitude Era. Um, like you say, we, that's when we kind of meet at secondary school and everyone likes, likes wrestling. So it's easy to kind of find friends who also like wrestling. Before we go into like our meeting, what were we then? Like 11, 12 years old-ish. Were you a product of the Attitude Era in terms of like that you liked that kind of style? Or were you kind of wishing that it was still how it was in, in like 91, 93 and 94 when you loved it? I don't think that I ever looked at wrestling in that way. Like wrestling was wrestling. You know, I don't think I, you know, had a preference for things like that. Um, See, we were both big ECW fans, weren't we? Yeah. So I probably got back into wrestling just after Mania 14, I want to say. Yeah. So mid-98. And then we started secondary school, obviously, September 98. So that I was started buying magazines around about that time again and, you know, saw like the King of the Ring results and stuff like that. The fact that wrestling was so popular as well, like helped, you know, because for the first time, really, wrestling was then something that I had in common with people. It was, you know, something that I could discuss at school or something that could be shared. And, yeah, you, you know, it was pretty much every guy at school watched wrestling, yeah, you, you know, by the time we went to secondary school. You talk about football, South Park and wrestling. Pretty much. <laughs> you know, like the good thing about wrestling was that like your parents had read bad things about South Park in the newspaper but they hadn't <laughs> clocked on to how wrestling had changed at that point yeah so they're like yeah watch it watch it and you know you know Jacqueline's getting her baps out or <laughs> you know people are you know Stone Cold's giving the fingers or uh, and also to be honest that coincided with having access again like one of our good friends uh, Tui like he lived around the corner from me at the time and he had Sky so on Saturday mornings, we would watch LimeWire. You know, whatever the show was, the highlight show that would show what had happened on Raw. And we would watch The Rock and we would watch Stone Cold and yeah. it was cool. Isn't it crazy how immediate access is now to wrestling in not just WWE, but all over the world, even like Japanese wrestling, you can watch it live at 6am or, or whatever. Then we would watch Raw four days late on a Friday or watch... If, if you were lucky, you know, if you had Sky. Yeah. And then you had to have Sky Sports as well. Yeah. So if you if you were really lucky, you had Sky Sports and you could watch Raw on a Friday night. If you were moderately lucky, you had, you know, cable and you could watch WCW on TNT, which was free on cable. Uh, or if you were like me, you just you maybe got to watch, you know, a tape or I didn't have any access at home. Yeah. But, but back then, so many people were watching it that people would record stuff for you or. Yeah. I was trying to think back um, to like those times in secondary school and it would pretty much be the uh, Monday morning after a pay-per-view, the like wicked whispers would like start around school. You'd hear, you know, spoilers or potential spoilers or rumours of what had taken place. People would do that thing where they wake up at 6am and watch it or I'll wake up at half eight and just whiz through it and find the results and just tell everyone. Fuckers. <laughs> but it'd always be like the guys who weren't really interesting anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's like, for fuck's sake. Been waiting I... months for this. and <laughs> <laughs> Because wrestling had become a bit of a boom again, we were lucky enough to be able to then start to go to live shows as a pair. Yeah. At what used to be called the, the uh, Colton Hall in Bristol. We threw all-star wrestling, Brian Dixon's company. And their kind of premise would be young British stalwarts, British veterans, 
and then dazzle a bit of uh, Stardust with a former WWF or WWE star as their like selling ticket. And we'd see the likes of Jake the Snake, Yokozuna, Marty Jeanette, Jeanette, uh, the Barbarian, Tempters, um, Earthquake. Yeah, um, some pretty big names in terms of our fandom. What was it like for you to meet these wrestlers and, and like view them with your own eyes? So I think just to take a slight step back there, to me, Ross always had, you always had, you know, such a lovely family, you know, and you guys would go to these wrestling shows and, you know, you would generally be allowed to take a friend along and you, you might take this person, you might. And like, I always really wanted to go. Like I really wanted to go. I was thinking like, fuck, I hope he picks me. <laughs> um, you know, and like, like at that time, amongst our friendship group or amongst, you know, your wider class, like you were considered quite cool because of this, you know, or you, it's, it's you know, we're now we're calling it what the nerds are watching. It's maybe not, you know, considered cool now, but like, you know, Ross is going to his wrestling show, he's going to take someone or Ross has got this wrestling tape or, you know, and man, I wanted to be sometimes when we're at school, <laughs> I swear. Uh, but yeah, uh, obviously, you know, you and your family, you know, were gracious enough to take me to quite a lot of wrestling shows when, to be honest, I didn't really have much. You know, after the first year of secondary school, um, circumstances dictated that I had to move out of our hometown and moved about, I don't know, 10 miles away. So from probably the age of, 12 13 to about the age of for about three years like I didn't really have like a, a social life because I was living in a different town where none of my friends were you know we would talk a lot on the phone we would talk you know landline phones <laughs> yeah, yeah um about you know what was happening in wrestling and that was pretty much my my only contact to the outside world as it were that was my social life yeah uh, so when these wrestling shows would pop up and it's like oh do you want to come you know like you can stay over and you can do like, that was you know, that was Christmas for me, you know, not even necessarily just for the wrestling. Um, Like that was an escape for me. So um, the fact that, yeah, we got to go and watch these wrestlers, like for me, it was amazing. You know, like Yokozuna is obviously one that, you know, massively stands out. Do you remember the Skull Murphy promo pre-match? I do. Like I still, yeah. Where he basically said he got stuck on the airplane because he was too fat um <laughs> little like 13 year old me was absolutely gutted i was like really <laughs> and and then yoko comes out and almost drops an f-bomb at like a massively child-friendly show yeah manages to uh sort of morph into freaking somehow yeah yeah uh yeah yeah i remember that match do you still have the the uh, polaroids I don't, unfortunately. Uh, like, this is one of the issues with having a, a chaotic lifestyle and a lot of house moves when you're younger. Like, a lot of this stuff gets lost. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there are very few photos of me, even as a child, to be honest. So, no, I don't have the Polaroids. But, like, I still like I still remember it. I still remember how big Yoko was. You know, he was, he was absolutely massive. Uh, I still remember the match, his promo. Like, and we're talking, what, August 2000, something like that? Something like that. Um, maybe it was slightly later than that. I can't remember. But he died like literally three weeks after we met him. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we were like very lucky to to see him. And he was obviously a big part of, you know, what I'd watched as a kid. Yeah. yeah. You know, like he was champion in 94. Yeah. So, so I always loved 
always love going to Colston Hall, watching live wrestling, obviously getting to watch it with yourself. So yeah, I, I've spoken about wrestling being a very solitary thing. And wrestling hits this boom period. And I've now got all of these guys I can talk about wrestling with. And I end up having to, to move away from everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so like talk about terrible timing. Yeah, that must have been um, awful. Yeah, that was sort of the one thing that kept kept me in touch. But we still had those those uh, landline phone calls, mate. Oh yeah, yeah that must have pissed your mum off so much. My mum loved you. So I was just about to say then, actually, like talking about deaths in wrestling, I was fortunate enough to not really suffer a death in the family until quite late in my life, like 15, 16 or something. And I think like the first death that really hit me hard was Owen Hart. How you say how like Owen was a huge pivotal role of the reason why you love that kind of 94 period with the feud between him and Brett. I kind of felt like I like I knew Owen Hart because I'd watched him for nigh on 10 years. And for him to pass away the way that he passed away, I remember watching it at like eight o'clock in the morning, bleary eyed on VHS that I'd recorded on Sky. And I went to, to school, even though I'd watched it and I'd heard Jim Ross utter those words that he passed away. I still didn't really believe it. It wasn't until I got home. And even when like people at school were saying like, you know, no, it's real, it's real. I still didn't believe it. And then it was only when I got home and saw it on like Sky News that I was like, and I just remember like crying my eyes out for like a week. Yeah. I don't, I don't. I don't know. I didn't have the same reaction. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. I think I was probably a bit more detached. Again, it's an access issue. Um, I was yeah. a bit more detached at the time. Uh, I don't think that, you know, I've ever watched the pay-per-view. So, yeah, I was shocked. It was sad. But I probably wasn't affected uh, by it on the same level as you. Uh. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd had deaths in the family and stuff and people younger than Owen, to be honest. So I'm probably less affected by it. That's entirely fair, mate. Yeah, just a little Ross story there. <laughs> we got to kind of um, secondary school. Yeah, so, I mean, mid-99, we just spoke about Owen. Mid-99 uh, is when I moved. One thing that actually helped me at that time was that WWE started on Channel 4. Yeah. From January 2000. Uh, the Rumble was on Channel 4. Live from New York's Madison Square Garden... The WWF Royal Rumble. Uh, which helped massively in terms of, you know, watching stuff. I stayed up and watched that live, which was, you know, crazy because, you know, I probably slept at 4am and had to get up at 6 for school and stuff. But um, but also something that I remembered. So, like, back at this time, how many wrestling VHS dates did you have in your house? Uh, like, stuff that had been recorded off of Sky. Yeah, and Yeah, so, like, official VHS tapes, probably, like, 50 and then the like knockoff recorded ones must have must have been nigh on like 200 no it was incredible honestly you should have seen ross's room like ross had a box room yeah my room probably what like seven foot by (laughs) (laughs) and 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 i think 50 percent of this room was vhs tapes (laughs) like there's just enough space for a bed and a tv and the rest is vhs tapes pretty much like it was incredible and obviously around this, you know, just before this time, we'd gotten into ECW as well. Yeah. Um, you know, became big fans of that. And we would, the only access to that, I mean, it was on Bravo. They would do sort of the TV show. But um, in terms of pay-per-views, you had to go to the local 
video shop and they would take out this massive catalog <laughs> a bit like like an old school phone book and you would have to leaf through all the pages and then find the the vhs that you wanted to order and get them to order it in it would take a couple of weeks but we would sort of take it in turns doing that yeah and then we'd get hold of a pay-per-view and meet up and watch it and like got massively into ecw even more so- it sounds funny now because like it's the biggest period in you know wf history but like we were probably bigger ecw fans i think we lost a lost a few of our wrestling mates then yeah probably <laughs> but yeah so you had these like 250 videotapes and i managed to get uh, a second vcr why well, i had two vcr players oh yeah i just borrowed these five tapes copy them and then you know i could i could watch as much wrestling as i wanted really which was you know a massive comfort for me remember um, that time that we um found that guy through power slam glenn yeah so well, i was going to mention power slam like that was another way that but that was the good thing about the attitude era is that suddenly wrestling was everywhere you know like you could you could buy wrestling magazines you would go in hmv and they would have wrestling shirts and it would pop up in the most like the places you wouldn't expect you would just find wrestling everywhere because it became such a massive brand yeah so yeah power slam was was something that i would read a lot of and as you say glenn radford is is the name that i remember so at the back you'd have all these sort of classified adverts and this guy was a tape trader and if you sent him a, a stamped addressed envelope, he would send you a list of all the tapes he had and all this different merchandise. It'd be like, oh, I've, you know, Bret Hart WCW baseball cap. Yeah, okay, I'll have that. Like, call it, phone him up. Yeah, can I have that baseball cap? I assume you had to send him like a postal order or something because there was no online payments. Yeah. Uh, and then like maybe, I don't know, three weeks later, you might end up with this baseball cap and be like, oh, I don't even wear baseball caps, but it's Bret Hart. In it. I think I was about 14, 15 at this point when... Glenn Rafford was in my life and similar to like when I first got the WWE Network and I was just completely overawed with the amount of content I remember first getting that like list of stuff that he had and just being like just on that one page I was like I want all the things on this page and then there's yeah. 500 others like incredible amount of stuff on it and I think I was embarrassing with Glenn because I would just call him up all the time and be like, talk to him about wrestling. He must have just been like, can you please fuck Do you want to buy something or what? (laughs) (laughs) He's just like the comic book guy. (laughs) Yeah, massively like (laughs) mistook what the um, customer friend relationship was. (laughs) But yeah. Like it was brilliant because I mean, you know, also around this time, you know, things like the Foley uh, autobiography came out. Yeah. You know, so we would read about stuff that we'd never heard of before. So like IWA, King of the Death Match 95. And then, you know, you'd look on Glenn's list and go, oh, look, he's got the he's got the whole tournament. Yeah. Uh, and if you pay a bit extra, he'll do a compilation tape. So, OK, Foley says these matches are shit. So let's just, you know, let's get the let's get the final with Funk. And yeah. then let's get this Luchador match. And then let's get, you know, and he would make this tape and. Yeah, you know, probably charges through the nose for it, but um, <laughs> you suddenly get to watch all these obscure matches that you'd never even heard of. Uh, like, I, I know how you feel because there would be stuff on there like uh, Desert Island Scorpion on a pole, yeah, exploding ring death match. So, presumably, it was probably a neater nonsense, but yeah, yeah. you'd be like, Yeah, I don't even, I can't, my mind cannot comprehend, you know, what you're describing here. Like, I kind of want to watch it. And every tape that you had available. He also had the Meltzer rating next to every match. 
Yeah, that's true. Unbelievable. Even like Raws and Superstars yeah. and things. I massively... Which was probably uh, one of our first exposures to, you know, Meltzer and Imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I massively misused my um, <laughs> my access to the massive library that he had, and I asked for a compilation of Marty matches. <laughs> I did. <sighs> I was a big Marty fan at the time. You probably had like always TV matches on tape already. Like. I'm pretty sure it was because I met him at like Carlton Hall and he was really nice. So I was like, I'm gonna get his best of. And it was just like, yeah, matches. Just him and just just him and Leaf Cassidy as the new rockers. <laughs> it was the new rockers against the Godwins 15 times. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, so then um obviously we're then grown up. So my two favorite Lord CC moments at school. One was when the kind of like the class bully was um, having a bit of a wobbly at, at something or other in class and you took it upon yourself to introduce the, the Lord CC character at that precise moment to him. Not a great character for diffusing uh, volatile situations, it has to be said. And it ended up with one of the old school like school chairs that have got like the steel legs that are just kind of nailed into the chair, thrown into your head, and you completely no-sold it, and then just looked at him and went, peasant. (laughs) (laughs) And then you both got thrown out, which I thought was a bit harsh on you, really. And then the second one, when you took a phone call (laughs) in class, and (laughs) the teacher asked you to stop making the phone call, and you just ignored her, and then said to her, I'm on the phone, <laughs> then finished the conversation. <laughs> and then she screamed at you and then you were sent out. <laughs> Two classic Lord CC moments. Yeah. I mean, with the second one, to be honest, my life was spiralling at that point. Like, I just I just didn't care. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's kind of funny because now I'm obviously, I'm married to a teacher, um, which is probably the last thing any of our school teachers would have imagined. <laughs> But yeah, I was acting out. I was, you know, an arsehole. It was my outlet as much as anything else. Well, more on the Sultan later as that comes in later. Um, Then, um, obviously, you go off to university, Shaf, and you chose to go to London, which to me was a massive, like, scary place. Obviously, I've I've lived here for almost 10 years now, and I don't feel like that at all. I absolutely love London. But to me, living where, where we lived, it was just like this place that, seemed like the most dangerous place in the world and I would never choose to to like head there and I remember coming up to London to visit you maybe in your first or second year I can't remember now offhand and you were living in your like dorms and you just seemed a completely different person to what you were at school you were kind of probably the most popular person in that dorm you had loads of friends around you you had and entirely differently to your secondary school you had loads of female friends around you (laughs) And from the outside looking in, I would like try and talk to you about wrestling and stuff. And you would always move it on to like UFC because UFC became kind of a massive part of your life. I think around that time, what happened to your wrestling fandom at university? Was it a case of you were enjoying life away from what life was in the Southwest? And it was just wrestling was like a second thought because you were just enjoying life for what seemed like the first time. It's a good question. I mean, I don't really remember stopping watching wrestling at uni, but I mean, everything changed at uni, you know? Um, like, after my first year of uni, like, I 
literally everything changed. You know, I reverted to Islam. I changed my name. I stopped drinking. I stopped like doing a lot of things. And to look at it from like, it wasn't my intention at the time, but to look at it from an analytical point of view, you know, 15 years on, I probably was trying to shed my old lifestyle when I got rid of everything, including, you know, my name and, yeah, you know, and it was a way of starting afresh. Like, I had zero interest in going to uni. It was literally just a way of escaping the situation that I was in. Yeah. That, you know, I wasn't going to survive if I, if I stayed in. Um, so, yeah, I went to uni. I mean, the first year of uni, I got into TNA, you know, which was great at that time. Like, I mean, it was literally around the time of, you know, AJ Daniels and Joe having that amazing match at Unbreakable. Yeah. The January, obviously, you know, I ended up going to Doncaster and, and meeting Brett and seeing Joe, uh, Daniels, Styles, and ironically, Charlie, Charlie Hass of all people. And, you know, so I don't think that it necessarily died out. Like I was still watching. Um, and ironically, at uni, I found people that were into it as well. Was know? it so more then that, like, wrestling was no longer a solace because your life had improved? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess it probably changed, like it became more of a social thing. Like quite a lot of the guys, you know, that I were, you know, I had a big friendship group and a lot of the guys were into wrestling. So we would watch shows together. Like we would watch a pay-per-view together. Like some of them were more into it than others. So with them, we I might watch the weekly shows, you know, we would play the games. So it was still there, but, you know, it wasn't necessarily the same priority that, you know, it had been, you know, girls came along and, you know, things of that nature. So... So it was still, I was still interested. Yeah, and if anything, I had more time and more access, um, you know, because I learned about how to download things in perhaps less than uh, legal ways. Um, <laughs> yeah, and access, you know, I was able to watch the weekly shows probably for the first time ever. Yeah, so you became kind of Mr. TNA at, at that point, really. You, you're talking about the promotion, right? <laughs> well, some may say. <laughs> so, yeah, like you became kind of Mr. TNA where to the point where you knew so much about TNA and I was like such a casual viewer of that promotion because I went to university and grew up and found myself and figured out who I was in university just like you did but didn't like shelve any other side of my personality I just kind of shelved that kind of nerdy insular side of myself and tried to like be a bit more sociable and leave wrestling behind a little bit <laughs> but you were massively into, into TNA and I always felt a bit what's the word overawed a little bit by TNA with you because I just didn't know enough I knew I didn't I didn't know enough and I, and I know how much you know that I like wrestling and like it would have just been weird if we were talking about stuff and I was just a bit like I like newbie if that makes sense so like yeah it's just a bit weird that kind of time where you were only really watching TNA at that point so that was a bit weird but fast forward through to London life, where we're both in London and we have been for some time. We kind of reconnected with wrestling. I th- want to say Wrestle Kingdom 12. Maybe it was. 12. Well, which one was this year? 16? Six, yeah, no, yeah. 10's probably about right, isn't it? Yeah. So 10, we was a couple of weeks before I moved to London. And we, we both watched it at the same time together and we're, you know, talking despite being in different cities. So, yeah we did that and then and then a couple of weeks later i moved yeah i think was omega ricardo i want to say was that wrestle kingdom 11 yes i think it was yeah because i'm pretty sure we watched that together with mike so like after uni like i spent a couple of years in london and then moved back to our hometown 
you had moved back to our hometown and then you ended up moving to London. Yeah, and yeah. I ended up moving back to London. But whilst you were in London and I was still here, we started going to, to London shows. Yeah. To watch wrestling like with Rev Pro. Um, yes, yeah, so so like this was the boom of British wrestling, really, wasn't it? It was the start. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we like I would travel all the way here, and we would go to uh, watch Rev Pro, for example, you know, to see the latest import because uh, yeah. they would always get good guys on the card. I remember going to a Rev Pro show and like having a three-hour drive home afterwards, and I lost my car. Christ! Like, I lost my car. <laughs> like, how do you do that? <laughs> so I drove all the way to London, you know, across the country, parked my car somewhere in East London. We go and watch this wrestling show. It finishes, it's pitch black. Yeah, I don't know where my car is. And you're parked in Bethnal Green somewhere at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally, I spent two hours looking for my car in East London. Like, I'd, you know what it is? I paid for one of these, you know, like where you can rent someone's parking space. And right. It was in like a private sort of estate. And yeah, I couldn't find it. Like, oh yeah, there's a block of flats. There's a block of, yeah, no, I can't find my car. When you told me the, fact that you were still looking for your car I was half expecting that end of nitro where um there's that really small squash Sid car and he's going Sid, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant I think like you texted me like are you at home I was like no I'm still in East London I can't find the car <laughs> uh, so that was around but, the time where like Colt Cabana AJ Styles kind of so I think I think uh Marty Skull had just done like take me out and it was like just before he was started doing the um, the villain gimmick. Yeah. And we would come to watch the imports and then he would do something on every show. I know that it's probably not, it hasn't aged well, but he would do something on every show, you know, that would make me interested to come back. So yeah. we started going for the imports, but then he became a highlight of every show because he was a common thread. Yeah. Um, and the matches he, were having, he was having were, you know, captivating. So, yeah, and then obviously I moved here and the whole time you'd be banging on about progress, like our oh, progress is this and progress is that. And, you know, I'd look at the cards, you know, for progress compared to Refro. I didn't really get it, you know, because Refro had all this star power, these people who were flying in and I would look at the progress cards, but like, I don't know who this is. Yeah, you like, know, And you'd be like, oh, he's, yeah, he's amazing. He's like this, you know, oh, crazy golf. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> Which obviously didn't age well <laughs> either. but um. When I moved here, we started going to progress shows together. What was your um, first progress that I brought you to? Was it uh, Super Strong? No, it was, um, I want to say it was like chapter 50. It was, it was something to do with Leicester. I, like, but I can't remember. Oh, it it might have been yeah. Chat Shit Get Banged. Yeah, or 500 to 1. It was two of them pretty close. Yeah, yeah. it was one of, one of those, I think. Maybe Leicester had just won the league. Yeah. Or, or were close. Um, I think Osprey had literally just won the title yeah so yeah then we started going to that i think after my first year in london they introduced the progress season ticket so i got a season ticket for i would guess 2017 wow. you know and we would go every month and you know super strong style would be great and that's like in a lot of ways that's really sort of the genesis of along with i know obviously you were going to progress shows before and you met people at progress shows but that was really like the genesis of wrestling should be fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was where it was born, yeah. So what was your first impression of progress at the ballroom with the boys? Was it kind of... Because I know that you were always pretty reticent about progress because I get that like it was kind of in your face and it was kind of like 
we are this, we are that. And if you're not part of it, it can be a bit abrasive. And I feel that a little bit with AEW sometimes. But once you're in it, like I am with AEW now, like I get it. And you're part of the group. Because Progress was trying to make that kind of community feel, which they did do, but it kind of ate itself in the end. The thing is, say it had a community feel, but if you went to a Repro show, like it was really bright, you know, and you could take kids to that show. Yeah. It was in, you know, a venue where they have, you know, boxing matches, like a very famous boxing venue. I had been to, I've been to York Hall, like when I was for my 16th birthday with my mom. Whereas Progress was in this dingy nightclub. It was really dark. You couldn't really see a lot. Your feet stuck to the floor <laughs> and still do. And it had like an edge to it. Um, you know, it was at the time punk rock wrestling, punk rock pro wrestling. That wasn't like the punk rock stuff and not really a scene I've ever had any sort of interest in. And anyone who's been to Camden will know that Camden's got a certain flavor and it hasn't necessarily ever been my flavor Yeah. Uh, for, you know, alternative lifestyles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was quite different. But I think when you get into it, it just became so much more interesting. And you realize that you don't want to watch really bright wrestling. It's good that it's a bit grungy and it's a bit edgy and it's a bit, it's for adults. You know, it's in a nightclub. You have to be a certain age to go. The parallels are there now, you know, sort of RevPro and Progress then are sort of WWE and AEW now. Yeah. In, in terms of audience and uh, star power and stuff like that. Yeah. It's actually quite interesting because obviously we've already spoken about how. 13, 14 year old us were very much ECW fans. If we were like 14 and 15 and, and were able to, to travel up to progress shows at that time, we'd have been so into it. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, we were not to discount the fact that we were into it as adults. Like we were, because, you know, as I say, we bought season tickets and went to every show. And, but yeah, massively, massively would have been into it as a, a teenager as well because we were hugely into ECW, which was an alternative. And Progressors was very much an alternative to other things that, you know, I'd certainly seen in British wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously through that, you kind of met all the wrestling should be fun boys. And it's quite funny, isn't it, really? Because you're probably, well, you're definitely my oldest friend in that group, but you were kind of new to the group. But it felt <laughs> very much like you fell into the group really easily once you were there. So I think... When you started going to progress shows, there were maybe, you know, Mike and the, um, the West Boys. The West Boys. And that was pretty much it. And then I started coming. It felt like every show we would meet someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, every month the group would grow by a member or two. And then, you know, you meet someone like Don Van Damme, who's <laughs> like the guy has got a presence. Honestly, like I appreciate it's a podcast and people can't see him, but he has got a presence. The dude is like, I don't know, six foot five. He's like a massive friendly giant. Um, he's got a huge voice. He's incredibly quick and funny and, you know, with his quips at live shows. And he just, he's got an aura about him that attracts people. You know, he's yeah. so warm that people are just attracted to him. Literally, he's like a light to moths. <laughs> so when you befriend someone like Dom, your friendship group doubles, you know, pretty much overnight. And then obviously people like James as well, JCH. Yeah. you know is similar so yeah i mean obviously you've started from going to progress shows with maybe two or three people and this has expanded to i don't know it's probably 20 of us yeah, yeah. you know which is like amazing really when you think about it that 
there's 20 of us and we're regularly talking about wrestling and going, you know, pre-COVID going to shows and um, obviously doing podcasts. And previously we've done, we've written a lot of articles or reviewed pay-per-views or, you know, you've grown the the Twitter account from nothing to where it is now, you know, but we've got five figure follower list. Like it's awesome. You yeah, know? yeah. And ultimately, even at 35 years old, we're still able to watch and do and talk about the, the one thing that we really love. Yeah, you know, which is pro wrestling. And obviously, unfortunately, you can't make the progress show this Sunday, the first one back in almost two years, which is a mega bummer. Um, but hopefully you'll be at the next ballroom show. Yeah. So, I mean, I said before we came on, like I listened to uh, last week's episode, as I always do, when you had progress tag team champion Nick Riley on as a guest uh, and ran through the card and man, listening to that card, like I got so excited. Like excited about wrestling in a way that I haven't for a long time, you know, because it's a live experience. I bought my ticket and, you know, unfortunately something's come up and I can't now go, but man, I wanted to be there. Like I want to be, and when that Sunday rolls around, like I'm going to be just massively eating up with FOMO. And I <laughs> just hope that like the guys, like I've got a bit of a reputation for being quite cynical and negative and, you know, <laughs> I've probably, I'm, I'm like Brett, you know, I've, I'm a bit bitter, but, you know, I've probably got reasons to be at times, but, um, <laughs> uh, but no, I'm super like positive and excited about this reboot of progress. You know, they got the new owners in, it feels like a clean slate. Whilst it might not hit the, and probably won't hit the heights that it used to be, ultimately it's a live wrestling show, you know, aimed at adults with good wrestling, showcasing British talents that we can go to every month hopefully for a long time you know and and they've already shown their hand a little bit with the manchester show that they've brought in gresham so if we're going to get the likes of him um at the ballroom on a monthly basis that's pretty great as well so i hadn't actually seen that announcement i mean i speculated with you guys previously that you know i think they might bring in a couple of imports just to get the buzz back yeah because progress is always you know they call them chapters because it is a long-running story Um, and you know it's not like rev pro where traditionally it's been you know, a super card with imports, you know, there are long running stories and it's difficult to do that when you're kind of starting at zero, you know, it's, it's almost like a reboot. I appreciate that they've done stuff on the network during the no fan zero, but you know, a lot of people haven't seen that. And like I haven't, you know, so if they can get imports in, in the short term to get people interested and get them back to shows and, you know, show what the new progress is all about and what the new owners are all about and that, you know, it's going to be a safe space to enjoy professional wrestling, then that's great, you know, and then over time they can develop these stories with their champions and with their roster, their regular roster. Yeah. Uh, that gets people invested the way that, you know, we used to be. So I'm hugely positive about it. I really, really hope that it goes well and that we'll be going to progress shows for a long time. And I'll, you know, come hella high water, I'll be at the February show. Amazing to hear, man. Yeah. Like, be great to um once again experience live live wrestling with you from you know it's it's just cool to like being stood next to you at those shows because obviously we go way back to watching stuff on my eight inch tv (laughs) (laughs) in like my bed sit back in our hometown so it's pretty cool knowing like 20 years on whatever that was so 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 ross just used the word bed sit like he didn't live in a bed sit like he lived in a really nice house i think he just misused it the term there, his bedroom. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That was almost 25 years ago and we're still here talking about wrestling and we still love it. And it's still something that brings a lot of 
you know, joy to our lives. And it's still a form of escape, even if the things that we need to escape from have changed, you know, and our lives have changed. It's amazing um, to hear you talk so positively about wrestling. Because obviously you have had periods of time with, with your fandom that, that you fell out of love with it. And we're not going to dwell on that because this is a wrestling should be fun podcast. But um, a big part of that has obviously been the introduction of AEW into the wrestling world. And you've spoken about it at, at length when you've been on the podcast, just how much you love AEW and how it's brought you back into feeling positive about wrestling. Moving forward, do you think AEW are going to kind of do a progress and kind of eat itself? Or, or do you think it's going to kind of chug along and be a genuine kind of alternative to the big boy? It's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, this is always going to be the issue that they started the company with Omega, the Bucks, Cody, for example. Naturally, even if things went perfectly, those people have got shelf life, you know, and are they going to do something that no other wrestlers have ever done before and not put their own personal interests ahead of the rest of the roster in the long run? I don't know. Like, all I know is that we will talk about WWE on the pod. Of course we do. It's what the nerds are watching. And some of us are still massive WWE fans, and that's fine. Whatever brings you joy is, you know, is a good thing to me. I don't hate WWE in the sense that I don't want it to fail. I, it's something that I want to enjoy, and I just don't at the moment. And yeah. I don't watch it because I think it's much better not watching something that you don't enjoy than watching it and then, yeah, you know, filling Twitter full of negativity or... Yeah, there's no reason um, to hate watch anything, is there, you know? It's life's too short, you know. None of us have got enough time for that, particularly as adults. So, yeah, I mean, I, with WWE, when good stuff has popped up, it's brought me back, you know, and I hope I, there's always that hope that it will turn a corner and it will be something that, you know, I can enjoy regularly again. I don't know at the moment, but that's okay. Um, we've been very fortunate that sort of New Japan from maybe Wrestle Kingdom, you know, nine or 10 for three, four years provided like a good alternative. Yeah. Uh, for us and it was something that we could enjoy and it was a bit more our flavor in terms of in-ring stuff and then obviously we got NXT as well which was you know brilliant at a time as an alternative and then as those things have started to drop off AEW started so you know there's too much good wrestling out there to to hate what you're watching I think that's a that's a really like positive mindset as well like you're only gonna damage your own well-being <laughs> by watching something that you don't want to watch and also potentially damage other people's well-being like how you're saying that you don't dislike the fact that other people like WWE like you're positive about that is a great thing rather than bringing other people down and trying to point out that things are shite to people that are enjoying it like why do that you know it's pointless isn't it? And, and I mean ultimately that's the ethos of wrestling should be fun isn't it like wrestling should be fun is intended don't get me wrong I'm not saying that we never criticize anything Okay, of course we do. Like, we have eyes, you know, if we see something that we don't like, we're going to say it. But overall, we have a positive outlook on wrestling. Yeah. You know, if I don't watch it and I don't enjoy it, I tend to not talk about it. I'll pass over to someone like uh, Matt Connolly, who, who loves Roman Reigns and thinks that this Reigns head is the greatest thing in the modern era. So let him talk about it and let him eulogize about it because it's something that brings him joy. And ultimately, that was why we got into this in the first place as fans. Um, and I think that wrestling should be fun, what you've done. Like, it's fantastic because I don't really use Twitter because I just find it so negative and it's almost it's like a poison place. And wrestling should be fun is, for me, what obviously one of the only accounts I follow because it's a beacon of light, it's a beacon of positivity and what is 
otherwise, you know, quite a depressing place to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's a place that I, like, obviously, I like, I have a feed of, we follow something like 9,000 accounts to try and get more followers. And my feed is full of wrestling fandom, ranging from people that are wildly positive, even more so than us, all the way down to the trolls. And I can see at times, like, the absolute cesspit that it can be, especially towards female wrestlers. Some of the comments to them is, is absolutely appalling. And I take quite quite a lot of pleasure in reporting some of them. But yeah, it's great to hear that you think that is a beacon of light because that was the reason that I created it because I have to be on Twitter for my job and I would just see such a negative place. And I just thought, well, if nobody else is going to be a positive, we might as well do it. So good to hear that you think it's working. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's nice that we can have these pods. And, you know, like I said, not everything we say will be positive. Like We still have opinions on things. But I feel like we at least try and express our views in, you know, the right way, you know. So before we end this podcast, Jeff, now that we've reached kind of where we are at the moment in our wrestling fandom, I'd be remiss not to mention the Sultan. So we spoke about Lord CC and how you started that character in kind of year seven. How did it change into the Sultan and when? It's a good question. I don't really know the answer. Like, when we said about going to uni that, like, Lord CC died off, you know, because it wasn't needed anymore. It wasn't... End of didn't need that <laughs> Didn't need that coping mechanism anymore, and, you know, it was probably going to cop a lot of me, too. Um, <laughs> so, we did the wrestling should be fun Shockmaster Mind quiz. Um, it's a quiz show that we do every year, uh, loosely based on Mastermind. Uh, shot Coral with the name <laughs> um, and yeah it just came out of that really and it's just inspired by two really simple things one you know how Lord CC was you know sort of related to my old name like how do we make that a bit more uh, Islamify that oh, yeah, let's just make him a sultan in it <laughs> um, yeah and actually the, the name comes from uh, my father-in-law uh, he when uh, they were a bit younger he took so he's got three daughters and he went on holiday to Tunisia. And so he's got three daughters. He's got his wife. He's got his mother-in-law. He's got his, I think, sister-in-law. And he's like the only man. And he's walking through, you know, the bazaars or the market. And a guy comes up to him and just goes, wow, to look after so many women, you must be a sultan. <laughs> and it's just, it's just like one of those, like my father-in-law is very straight-laced, like okay. very, you know, he, but when, like, I heard it, it was just something that cracked me up. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like, I'm stealing that. I'm the Sultan. So then, uh, obviously, during Shop Mastermind, you uh, kind of cut promos on your opponents, similar to what you would do as, as Lord CC, and you created a video where you um, accepted your, <laughs> your win for 2020 quiz, and that went um, to the group. And... Something that I have only just really found out about you is that you've been involved in Legion of Hasbro. Uh, we spoke about it in the episode where you had your friend Rapley on uh, a few weeks ago. And I've recently followed it through finding out about it. Um, and, it's, and it's something that you've been doing for quite some time. And it seems like the Sultan is making quite a stir over there. Yeah, so um, during the pandemic that has been going on for the best part of two years, literally eight days into the pandemic 
like I had a ch- had a child. And it was really difficult, you know, because being a new parent, not getting any sleep, not literally not being able to go anywhere because you're on lockdown. It was difficult. So everyone needs to have a bit of an outlet. So initially that was just, you know, from doing stuff with wrestling should be fun, from doing Shock Mastermind, from trying to be creative with things. And then basically, I can't even really tell you why, but um, like AEW released the first line of figures, action figures. I thought, okay, that was kind of interesting. Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll just uh, I'll buy some. Maybe they'll be worth something in the future. Because Charlie, who's uh, in our group, like he was selling off some of his old Hasbro's, and you know, like he had like a one, two, three kid. He sold it for like three hundred quid. I was like, what the hell? Like maybe these AEW figures will be worth that much in the future. Yeah. So, like I I bought a few of them, and I sort of I was more on Reddit at the time, and I looked like, are there anything about action figures on Reddit? And there wasn't really much of a a community there and I ended up uh, looking on Facebook and like one of the groups I came across was Legion of Hasbro and obviously they focus on the old Hasbro figures that we had as kids yeah. um, and played so much with and yeah just became involved in that like they've got a, a free monthly quiz over there every month to give away a Hasbro figure that's still in the packaging still in the original packaging it's sort of worth like 150 quid and they give it away for free just for playing a quiz uh, I love quizzes as you know from Shop Mastermind and one way that they get people involved is the people cut promos on each other just for a laugh. Like, you don't have to. If you don't want to, you can just turn up and just play the quiz. If you want to get involved in the banter, then you can. So the Sultan made an appearance there, became quite popular quite quickly. And, yeah, we just took off from there. So now, like, I'm quite heavily involved in stuff over there, arranging community events, selling, you know, figures, buying figures and other stuff, you know, quizzes and things of that nature. So it just become a new outlet for me. In, in what's can, been challenging times from what i can see from the activity that you've got on that page it seems almost like how we spoke about right at the start how how you even just said it then how wrestling still no matter how old you get it still is that kind of solace of just taking you away from what life's throwing at you right yeah definitely so i mean because it's predominantly hasbro focused or vintage figure focused but, you know, people who collect newer stuff, they don't even have to be figures. You know, if you collect anything to do with wrestling, people are welcome. Even if you don't collect, you're welcome. But there is sort of more generally, traditionally, there's been more of a focus on the golden era because that's when Hasbro's came out. And those characters were very big, you know, Hogan's, Warriors. They were our superheroes as kids. Um, so there is definitely a form of escapism there, I think. But we are slowly converting, between me and Phil, we're slowly converting the group to being quite, AEW, uh, <laughs> big AEW fans. So yeah, and you say about escapism, like a lot of people have messaged and said sort of over the pandemic, the groups massively helped them, you know, because pretty much everyone I would imagine to a certain degree has suffered some form of stress or mental health issue or anxiety during the pandemic because it's been something like none of us have ever seen before. So to have uh, something like Legion of Hasbro, which is like, wrestling should be fun very very positive focus you know has been an outlet for people to help them uh cope so yeah i mean because for me twitter and i guess we're talking i say twitter but really we mean the the bigger iwc the bigger internet wrestling community if that sort of term is still you know appropriate it's traditionally been very very negative but as i say like w spf like legion hasbro is very positive um, and very supportive people and generally people that we're all sort of 
we're all adults, you know, pretty much. We've got a few teenagers, but apart from that. Yeah, I see quite a few videos of like quite cute videos of like dads having their children open up the boxes and stuff. It's really cute. Yeah, um, because, you know, we were the kids at one point. Yeah. And now we're the parents. So. Yeah, man. Well, it all comes around. full circle. It all comes around. Yokozuna helped you as a kid. You saw him in real life and now you've got his figure. <laughs> it's something like that yeah <laughs> cool man um thanks so much for coming on and talking about your wrestling fandom um did you want to plug legion of hasbro in terms of where you can find them so legion of hasbro we're on facebook you don't have to be a collector you can literally just join and play our wrestling quiz every month basically just about old wrestling knowledge it's multiple choice it's completely free to play you don't need any software uh, to play literally just join in a live video yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, what can I say, Ross? It's been almost 25 years. I should probably, you know, thank you because you've certainly helped my wrestling fandom a lot over the years, taking me to shows, giving me tapes, uh, all of that good stuff, obviously inviting me to to progress and things like that. So thank you for that. And Great it's cool time. that, you know, all these years later, we can, we can still talk about the stuff and it still brings us happiness. Yeah. And um, we've got the Royal Rumble coming up. So hopefully... You're gonna uh, watch that as it's what well, that's one of the ones that obviously brings you back to your old nostalgia, and hopefully you can come on the podcast when we talk through it uh, in two weeks' time. Definitely, sounds good. All right, mate. We'll, we'll speak then. All right, take care, mate. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.